Good morning, and thank you for joining us in our online worship service. We're doing a series entitled Summer Stories. My name is Maurice Hooks. My wife and I lead the Bronx region of the church, and we're very grateful for you to be able to join us here today. So to get us started, we're going to have a sister from the Bronx region by the name of Valerie Gibson share with us how God has helped her overcome incredible obstacles to not only become a Christian, but to continue to live a godly life. But not only has she impacted people in the Bronx, but she's impacted people throughout the entire church. Brothers and sisters, I hand it over now to Valerie Gibson. Valerie Gibson, I'm from the Bronx region of the New York City Church of Christ, and I want to share with you today my story of the power of God to overcome. So in order to see how I've overcome, I have to talk about how I grew up. Uh, I grew up number five of six children, and my father was very strict. He held us to high moral standards. And because he was a disciplinarian, we all told the line. He was very big on education, and he said that his job was to take care of us, and our job was to go to school and do well. And I did. I worked hard at it, and I graduated from the Bronx High School of Science. My grandmother, Agnes, God bless her soul, will call for myself and one of my brothers to go to church with her every Sunday. And my mother would get us together and send us to meet her. On a side note, never underestimate the power of planting God's word in the life of your children. My brother and I have now both been disciples for over 30 years. Train a child in the way they should go and they will not turn from it, amen? So when I turned 16, I felt like I had enough moral training, enough church going, and enough intelligence to start making my own life decisions. I stopped going to church. At the age of 17, I graduated high school and began my rebellion against my parents' authority. Against all the rules, I started staying out all night. I gave up my virginity when I told myself that I wouldn't until I got married. I began to use and abuse drugs. I was living life on my terms, or so I thought. There were things in my life that I wanted so badly to be different. And because I was so engrossed in my usage, I was neglecting my children. I was in an immoral relationship with their father who was absent and I tolerated it. My choice to abuse drugs was ruining my life. In Romans 7, 19, Paul talks about the good that I want to do, that's not what I do, but the evil that I don't want to do, that is what I keep on doing. And that's where I was. As much as I wanted to change and be different, I couldn't, and not for a lack of trying. My moral upbringing, my education, and my church attendance, I was not able to pull on any of that to give me the power to overcome. I couldn't pull from my moral upbringing because I was taught morals, but I didn't see them lived out. I couldn't pull from church because the hypocrisy made me leave. There was no power in that church. No power of God to change. My education gave me wisdom, but it was the wisdom of the world. And there's definitely no power in that. God calls worldly wisdom foolishness. I remember the day that I looked in the mirror and the spirit clearly asked me if I was ready to die. If I kept going down the road that I was on, I surely would ask. I told God that I was not ready to die. I asked him to help me. I started reading my Bible because I knew that I could find God there. 
that's the one thing I learned at church. I came across Jeremiah 29 11. I knew that the plan for my life that I had wasn't working, so I sought after God. But the God I learned about was the one of fire and brimstone, not the God that gives the power to overcome. My sister-in-law got invited to a Bible talk and she extended the invitation to me as well. I started studying the Bible and I learned about God's love and the power of the resurrection. I learned about God's desire for me to live free. John 8:31 says, we are able to be free through a relationship with Christ. Free from the addiction, free from the bad relationship, free to be the mother that I wanted to be for my kids. Where would the power to overcome all of this come from? It would come from surrendering to God wholeheartedly and living according to his word. At my baptism, God gave me his Holy Spirit, the same power he used to raise Jesus from the dead, to enable me to live a new life. Now, I'm married to a great disciple, Stanley Gibson. I have a great relationship with my children. I'm free from my addiction. And God even allowed that pain that I went through to be used to help other women come into contact with his overcoming power by leading a, a Bible-based chemical recovery group in the church. The morals I grew up with only took me so far. The discipline and training from my dad only took me so far. Excelling in academics only took me so far. With all of that, I was still a slave to sin and could not do the good that I wanted to do. In Romans 17, 24 and 25, Paul talks about this very thing. As powerful a man as Paul was, he could not change. He knew the good he ought to do, but he couldn't carry it out. And Paul asked a pertinent question. Who would save him from the body of death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. The power to overcome comes from God and God alone. May you find overcoming power through Jesus Christ. Thank you for allowing me to share. Thank you, Valerie, for your honesty, your openness. And just as she shared, she leads the women's CR ministry in the Bronx, but she continues to help out a number of women throughout the church. So let me ask you this. Have you ever had a problem that was just in your face day after day after day, telling you it's impossible to move on, to overcome it? And that's what Satan does. Satan wants us to believe that our problems are so big that we can't overcome them, so we just have to live with it. And actually, we start to believe that. We start to say things like, that's just who I am. We say things like, that's how I grew up. That's what my family's like. We even get to the point where we say, we're just too old to change now. And that's one of Satan's greatest weapons to get us to take our focus off of Jesus and on the problems, on the obstacles. It happened in the Bible. Think about it, Peter. He was focused on Jesus, obeyed Jesus, started walking on the water, took his focus off Jesus and put it on the wind and the waves and it almost sunk him. Think about it, Martha, Mary's sister. When Jesus came to town, she started looking at all the things she had to do and almost missed out on Jesus. See, Satan is a master of not just deception, but of distraction as well. And he wants to get us focused on the problem 
instead of the problem solver, which is Jesus. Just as Valerie shared, education is important. Discipline is important. But those things won't get you to heaven. The only way we can get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. Look in John chapter 16, verse 33. It says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Again, today's lesson is the story of overcoming. I just want to remind us of how powerful God is because sometimes we really believe that our problems, our obstacles are too much for God to handle. Not true. Not true at all. You say, well, wait a minute, preacher Mo, you don't know what my marriage is like. Plus marriage, that, that's just a piece of paper. Well, let me ask you this. Money's just a piece of paper, but you get up every morning and you work hard for it. Is that how you do your marriage? We need to get up every morning and work hard on our marriages. You say, well, whoa, preacher Mo, you don't know what my kids are like. Well, you know what? Nobody told you that that caterpillar is going to turn into a beautiful butterfly, but you believe it. We need to believe in our kids as well. Turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel 17 verse 2. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah. They drew up their battle lines to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out from the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and his iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will be sub become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. And look in verse 16. For 40 days the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. It says for 40 days he came forward. 40 days in a row. In other words, they woke up to this problem for 40 days. Now, we know it was 40 days because we have the Bible and the Bible tells us it was 40 days. But as far as they knew, this was going to happen the rest of their life. So here's the situation. This giant has come onto the scene and he has not overcome them, but doubt and fear has now set in. And that's exactly where Satan wanted them. They were stuck. They haven't been overcome, but neither have they overcome. They're just stuck. They're at a place where they were willing to just accept this as a part of life. Again, in verse 16, for 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. For 40 days, they woke up to the problem 
and went to bed to the same problem. They thought, man, every single day, think of how that must have messed with their mind. Thinking, okay, here's day 20, day 25. It's going to be different today. Nope. Same old situation. And see, that's what Satan wants to do to us. He wants to get us to the point that we just believe that's a part of life and that's just how we have to live. But that's not true. God's word encourages us. Look in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57. It says, but thanks be to God. He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, because of Jesus, we don't have to stay stuck. We have a victory through Jesus Christ. See, Israel and the Philistines, they have reached a standoff. Some of us may be in that same position. We're not overcome by our obstacle, our situation, but we're also not overcoming our obstacle, our situation. The Israelites, they were doubtful. They were fearful. They had lost their courage to keep fighting for God because they were stuck. Look in 1 Samuel 17, verse 24. When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. Now the Israelites have been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his father's family from the taxes in Israel. When they faced the obstacle, they became fearful and they ran. See, when a person gets stuck, this is what happens. They become too fearful to continue to fight for God. Too doubtful to press on. Too afraid to ask for help. Again, chapter 17, verse 25. Do you see how this man keeps coming out? Their eyes were fixed on the problem. That's all they talked about was the problem, was the problem, not the solution, but the problem. What were they looking at? It tells you in verse 24, when the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. They were focused on the man, not on God, not on the one that they read about and heard about. And they were focused on the man. Satan wants to get you to be focused on your problems instead of the problem solver. If he can get you focused on your problems, then you will forget how big God really is. If you can make your problems so big, then that makes God smaller. So what did God do? God didn't want his people to live like that. So what did he do? He sent them a young shepherd boy who had a different perspective on things. Someone who came to conquer a giant just as Jesus conquered death. Israel had been looking at a giant problem. They saw themselves as defeated already. Israel had become problem-minded. But David looks at the same situation. But he has a different perspective, a different focus. Israel sees a giant too big to handle. David sees a target too big to miss. Incredible. Look at 1 Samuel 17, verse 36. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. 
The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Sometimes we just need another perspective to help us get unstuck, to help us see this is an obstacle, but God is bigger than any obstacle that comes my way. David believed in the promise that God had for him. The lion, the bear, the man, none of them can overcome me because I believe in God's promise. Again, chapter 17, verse 36. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. David called the giant an uncircumcised Philistine. Circumcision was the mark of the covenant between God and Israel. David bore the mark of God's covenant, God's promise. God's promise was a part of his life. We have to make a decision. Are we going to let the obstacles Satan puts in our lives be a part of our lives? Or am I going to let God's promises be a part of my life? See, many times we get stuck because we're not remembering God's promises, the covenant we made with God. Every Israelite soldier that stood on that battleground had the same promise David had. But here's the difference. They had the promise, but David lived off of the promise. See, that's a whole different thing. See, it's like knowing the Bible and living the Bible. We can know the Bible, but that doesn't mean you live the Bible. David not only knew God's promise, but he believed so much in it that he lived his life a different way. Because of the promise of God. See, here's the thing. Either I'm going to let the obstacles be a part of my life or the promises of God be a part of my life. Hebrews 8 verse 6. But the ministry Jesus has received is a superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one. And it is founded on better promises. See, the promises we have are not bound in the blood of animals, but it's bound in the blood of Jesus. So we can be overcomers. How can we be overcomers? Let me give you two points here of how we need to be overcomers. Number one, we need to remember God's promises. We need to remember God's promises. We need to talk more about God's victories in our lives than our victories. See, we're pretty good at talking about things we have done, we have overcome. How about how God has worked in my life and overcome? See, we need to learn to start talking about God's victories. See, that's why we like hearing people share their testimonies so much. Because we see, we hear how God was victorious in their life. See, we need to stop focusing on problems and start focusing on promises. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 says, No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. You know, every child of God has a yes victory story. God has helped you already overcome. 
You know, when I first uh, was growing up, I was pretty small in stature, and I got beat up a lot. I got picked on a lot. But then in high school, I hit my growth spurt. And then I started to become someone who wanted revenge. I started going after people. I was going to get revenge for everything. I had so much anger in my life. Well, as time went on, I was able to get a college scholarship, and I was a starting running back at University of Kansas. But yet there was a young man coming up who I thought, this guy is pretty good. And he may try to compete with me and take my position. So what I did is I, I had a couple of guys who were on the defense purposely hurt him so he couldn't compete with me. They set him up and dislocated his knee. And so he could no longer compete. He was out for the season. Now, now I was not a Christian. So before you start putting things in the chat, hear me out. Afterwards, I became a Christian. And you know, the first person I shared my faith with was this guy. This guy that I had purposely had set up to get hurt so he couldn't compete with me for the number one position. And I remember studying the Bible with him and we sat down and we were talking about sin. And in my heart, I thought, I got to be honest with him. So I told him, I said, listen, I was the one that set you up to get hurt. And that's why your knee got dislocated and you are out for the year. And as I said these words in my mind, I thought, I know he's going to jump across this table. He's going to swing on me. How am I going to respond to this? I'm a Christian now. I probably deserve to get beat up, but I, I don't even know what I'm going to do, but I just got to be honest with him. And I told him this and he looked at me and he said, I forgive you. I thought, What? Because I was somebody that was full of revenge, full of anger, wanting to get back at everybody. But yet, here's this guy who I'm sharing God's word with. He's doing Bible studies. He looks at me and he says, I forgive you. You know, every time I'm challenged to forgive somebody, I think back to what happened to me with the first person I ever studied the Bible with. How he looked at me and said, I forgive you. This could have destroyed his career forever he could have lost his scholarship because of my anger and me not wanting him to compete with me but yet he looked at me and said i forgive you that has impacted me every day of my life you know the bible says in proverbs 17 17 a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity god puts people in our lives to remind us of his promises. We have to remember God's promises. This is how we overcome obstacles. We need to give back into God's word. Look in God's word. Look and see what God promises us. And hold on to that promise. Let that promise change your life. Not just know it and have intellectual knowledge. But let the promises that God gives us change us into being something different. The first thing we got to do if we're going to be overcomers is we need to hold on to God's promises. The second thing we need to do, we need to remember who's won the victory. Remember who's won the victory. We need to know this. Look in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. It says, you, dear brothers, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And here's the key. When Satan reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. 
He's going to try to get you to think there's no way God's forgiven you. You were messed up too many times. You're not good enough. You're not perfect. That's what Satan wants you to think. But you need to say, you know what? I know what the Bible says. I'm going to hold on to the promise of God. And God says that Jesus has won the victory already. I just get to be a part of that victory because I am a son, a daughter of God. We need to hold on to that promise and remember who has already won the battle. God doesn't give us an overcoming life. Instead, he gives us life as we overcome. We need to make a decision. Am I going to let the obstacles that Satan put in my life be a part of my life? Or am I going to let the promises that God, the creator of the universe, the promises he's given me, am I going to let that be a part of my life? One or the other is going to change you. The obstacles are going to change you. Fear, doubt, insecurity. The promises are going to change you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, generous. You're going to be changed. You need to make a decision today. Which way am I going to go? Obstacles, promises. Don't stay stuck. If you need some help, get some help. But listen, as we take communion, we need to remember Jesus did not die on the cross so you could be stuck in this world. Jesus died on a cross so you could be set free, so you could be a different person, so you can be the person that God wants you to be. Remember God's promises. Remember who has already won the victory. Let's go to God in prayer as we pray for the communion. Almighty God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for allowing us to have the opportunity to have your word so we can hold on to your promises. Just as it says in John 16, we do need to take heart because you, Jesus, has overcome the world. Father, thank you for the bread and for the cup as a reminder of your life, your sacrifice, your love for us. Thank you so much for all you've given us and for the blessings that are to come that we don't even know anything about, but yet they are already on their way. God, thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.